All right, so we're in our sixth and, and, uh, and uh, we got one more and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, seven different dimensions of our life we've been looking at. We've looked at spiritual health, we looked at physical health, mental health, emotional health, and uh, last week we looked at relational health, and all of them are online with the YouTube uh, channel, and you can always go back to that and look at it as well. And we've got two more direct uh, one. We're talking about work today, work, vocation, and next we're going to talk about uh, uh, money. No, uh, uh, profession, your, your vocation. Today we're looking at money. Jesus actually talked about money a lot. Jesus talked about money a lot. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. In fact, half of the parables that Jesus uh, talked about, half of them deal with money or resources or stewardship. Matthew, Mark, Luke, one out of every six verses is about money. Money management. Why? Because money can dominate our lives. Money can dominate our lives. Money influences our lives. Whether it's for good or whether it's for bad, money influences our lives. Money can be used for great things. Money can be used for bad things. But either way, we spend a lot of our time thinking about it, planning it, Saving it, training for it, uh, earning it. <laughs> we do a lot of our time and energy goes into looking after the thing that looks after us, if you know what I mean. And if you don't learn to manage money, money is going to manage you. Most of us, if asked to our face, uh, does money control your life? We'll be like, no, 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 money doesn't control our life. But yet we want to look into and put a stethoscope to the heart and say, how much does money actually decide my affections, my dreams, my security, etc., etc.? Okay? So if you don't learn to manage my money, it will manage you. And it's part of the discipline of an entire uh, life of the believer. So we're looking at the whole thing. Luke chapter 16 is a very interesting parable. In fact, it's, it's a controversial parable and has been misinterpreted quite badly. Luke chapter 16, we're looking at verses 1 through to verse 13, and it's also in your notes. So if you don't have a Bible, no problem. It's right over there. It's also on the screen. So let's read through that. It's called the parable of the dishonest manager, or the parable of the shrewd manager. Okay? So let me just read it through for us. Jesus said there was a rich man who enlisted a manager to take care of his property, but the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So the owner called him in and said, you must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you have done with what I entrusted to you, because your, your time as a manager is ending. The manager thought, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job, but I'm not strong enough to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I like that. I know what I'll do. So after I lose my job, I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me. So he called in everybody who was in debt to his master, and he asked the first man, how much do you owe a master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said, okay. Here's what I want you to do. Tear up that bill, tear up that uh, receipt, and write a new bill that says you only owe 400 gallons. And this is going to be between you and me. We won't tell the boss. 
Next, the manager found another debtor and says, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He replied. And then he says, okay, you change your bill and make it 800. We're doing this under the table. This is dishonest. We're doing it under the table. Now when the master, the owner, heard what the dishonest manager had done, he still praised his shrewdness. For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than those who belong to the light. That's you and me. In the next few verses, he's going to explain what he just meant, what he was teaching. Okay, in verse 9, he says, Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Why? So that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed, the wealth, when the wealth is gone, it, you'll be welcomed into your eternal dwellings. Whoever, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches, spiritual riches, real riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone's, someone else's property, who's going to give you your own, someone else's, your own property? No servant can have two masters, Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Why did Jesus talk about money so much? Because it's the only competing God. It is the only competing God. He didn't even bother with Satan or anybody else. Money is the competing God. It is what draws our affections and our, uh, and our trust and our dependence. He doesn't say you should not. When you say you cannot serve God, he says you should not serve God and money. He says you cannot. It's diametrically impossible. You cannot serve God and money. You land up moving to one side of the equilibrium or the other. So, let's note a couple of things. Firstly, Jesus is not praising the man for his dishonesty. He's not praising the man for his dishonesty. He's praising the man for his shrewdness. Secondly, you can learn from anybody. You can learn from anybody if you know how to write, ask the right questions. You can learn from anybody if you know how to ask the right questions. You don't have to agree with everything a person believes or does in order to learn from them. Just because I disagree with you on one small matter doesn't mean that the 95 other percent of your life I can't learn from. Just because there's a, uh, uh, there's a leader or a teacher or a school or a philosophy or something that you, that you disagree with in portion, in part, doesn't mean that you can't, you don't write that thing off. Are you with me? Are you with me? So we're, we're looking at a shrewd manager, a dishonest manager. So from him, we don't want to learn the dishonesty. What we want to learn is the shrewdness. So you can learn if you focus on the right thing and you focus on uh, what God is. And, and Jesus lands up praising him, so we want to stop and take notice of that. So those are two things. Two reasons why Jesus tells the story. Two reasons why Jesus tells the story. Firstly, he's talking to Pharisees. You know who Pharisees are? The religious leaders of, God, of Christ's day. And they were extremely in love with their money. The Bible says the Pharisees loved their money. So when they heard what Jesus said, they made fun of him, but Jesus told them, you're always making yourselves look good, but God sees what's in your 
heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. I want you to stop and just underline that. Because that's what this entire message is about. That's where we're at. The things that most people think are important, most people think are important, are worthless as far as God is concerned. Very interesting. What do most people think matters? Possessions, pleasure, power, prestige, popularity, sex, status, salary, money, lust, power. Those are the things that matter. They define us. They draw us. These are the things that matter. But our theme verse says, don't conform to the world's pattern. Don't become like that, but be be transformed. Don't conform, but be transformed by the way you think. In your very thinking, be changed. So that's what we're about. Jesus teaches the exact opposite of everything we've been taught about money. The way the world views money, the way people who don't know God view money, is because money is a competing uh, security, Jesus teaches the opposite. And we've got to take note. The second reason, second reason why Jesus tells the story is because most believers are very poor managers of money. Most believers are poor managers of money. Many of us don't plan ahead, we don't save, we don't plan for contingencies, for emergencies, and many of us are in debt. We don't. We are just lousy with worldly stuff. We're so spiritual minded that we are no earthly good. A lot of us, a lot of us are like that. I'm not saying all of us. I'm not saying this. It's just a fact. We aren't that great with that. That's why we often run from business. We don't think ahead. We don't plan. We're going to look at more into this as we go forward. So back to the story. Back to the story. Are you in Luke chapter 16? Okay. Uh, Jesus doesn't praise the guy's dishonesty. He's praising the guy's shrewdness. So you ask, what is shrewdness? Why does he use the word shrewd? Shrewd means you're smart. It means you're sharp. It means you're strategic. You are resourceful. You see a problem. You're clear about what the situation is. You know what to do about it. You get on it. You can figure it out. God wants us to be shrewd with our money. He wants us to be shrewd with our money. So from the story, we're going to learn four things that you don't want to do with your money. Now, four things that you do not want to do and five things, five truths you want to remember. Five truths you want to remember to do every day. Five things you want to remind yourself every day. Are you ready? Yeah? Okay. What not to do with your money? Number one, don't waste it. Don't waste it. We're looking at Luke chapter 16, verse 2 says, the manager was accused of wasting his manager's money, his master's money. The manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So that's why he called him in and said, you're going to give an account. You're wasting your money, wasting the resources. Don't waste it. Very easily we throw money away. We, we save in thousands, but we lose in rupees. In the little, little bits we lose. And we need to be careful about that. Number two, don't love it. Don't love it. Jump to verse 13. To verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, circle that, you cannot serve both God and money. Love is, a, love is not just a feeling like you have towards uh, your spouse or towards uh, uh, friends. Love over here is a deep commitment to trust and to be, to be uh, wholly focused for the best welfare of the person you're saying you love. 
And you're looking to that person, looking to that thing to give you the satisfaction and the sense of worth for life. That's love. And God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So when you love money, you're looking to money to do the things which, you, which God is supposed to be doing. And can money deliver? Yes, money can deliver. Can money give you security? Yes, money will give you security. Can money give you uh, friends? Yes, it can give you friends. But, so it is a competing God, but it is not a worthy God. And we'll talk about that in a little bit more time. Number two, don't love it. Number three, don't trust it. Don't trust it. He says, what am I going to do? I'm losing my job. You could lose your job like that. If you think that your income is steady, if you think that your job is here to stay, if you think that your career is stable, if you think that in this area, professional area, in your money area, you're absolutely fine and you can trust in that, it can go like that. It can go like that. There's, there's nothing, absolutely nothing concrete about that. And this is the guy who suddenly says, look, I'm losing my job. What am I going to do? Proverbs chapter 23 verse 5 says, your money can be gone in a flash as if it had, as if it grow, had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. I like the pictures. Number four, don't expect it to satisfy you. Don't expect it to satisfy you. These are such simple sentences, but when you actually honestly look at it, how the way we handle life, we do really expect some satisfaction. Don't expect it to satisfy you. The more you have, the more you will want. If I had 10,000 rupees in my bank account, I would feel much better. No, you won't. When you get to 10,000, you'll want one lakh. If I had one lakh, if I had one or two lakhs just sitting there, I'll feel better. I'll feel stronger. I'll be in a better place to think. No. I'm not saying if you are absolutely Kangal National Blank that you'll, you'll feel great. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that once the, the, the dependence, once the security has shifted to the one lakh sitting in the fixed deposit, you're going to be left unsatisfied. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, Whoever loves money, love, love. Whoever loves money will never have enough. Never. So you can't love it because when you've loved 10,000, now you want 50. You can never love it because it will never be enough. That's a very deep concept there. I can't love a person if the person is not enough for me. I can't love the money if the love money is not enough for me. So whoever loves money will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. It's just a fact. And it's in God's word. Luke chapter 12, uh, he says, when you go back a bit, he says, guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. Guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. Please look at that. Please look at that. Doesn't matter what faith you come from, look at that. It's a fact. Your life is not measured by how much you own. Listen carefully. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. 
your valuables don't determine your value. Sounds so nice when you're saying it, you know, in church and from a pulpit. Oh, it sounds so nice. But you look at the world. You look at the world. What watch are you wearing? What shoes are you wearing? What brands are you wearing? How do you... When, when your value moves beyond your skin and what's outside of your skin begins to tell the value of who you are, from your business card to your coat to the brands to the... To the, to, the, to the car, to everything else. And that's the world I live in. What is outside and the accessorizing is a reflection of how my worth is. And I land up, God is like, no, no. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. You're worth a lot simply because Jesus died for you. At the end of the day, this watch is worth how much I'm willing to pay for it. Are you with me? The shirt is what I'm willing to pay for it. If I'm willing to pay 50 rupees for it, that's what it's worth. Jesus paid with his blood to the point of death to buy you back. You're worth the life of God. So you are far more worth than anything you can put on your body. Your, your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. And that's bringing us back to the way we think. We need to change the way we think. Do not conform to the world thinks, to the way the world thinks. Don't go in that direction. Don't uh, give in to that. But be transformed by the way you think, the renewing of your mind. So let's look at five things, five truths to remember. Please, please understand with me. When something is true, I can trust it. When something is true, I can trust it. If it is not true, I cannot trust it. So when I remember truth, I grow in trust. When I base my life on a truth, I grow in faith, the faith that is built on a truth, not just fake faith, not just empty faith, blind faith. So truth is not just true in itself. It adds value to me when I place my faith, when I trust my life on it. Five truths I want to remember every day. Number one, it's all a gift from God. It's on loan. Every day I need to remember, it all belongs to God. This sounds very spiritual, but let me explain. Every day I remember, it all belongs to God. It's all a gift from God. It's on loan. It's really God's. It belongs to God. He has loaned it to me, and God is seeing, listen to me, God is seeing what you're going to do with it. So everything that we see and have and experience belongs to God, yet you have it in your hands because it's been given on loan to you. And the reason it's been given on loan to you is to see what you'll do with it. So we are all in the management business. We are all in management. Think about it. There is absolutely nothing you actually own. There's nothing that anybody actually owns. Everything is on paper. Every single thing is on paper. You own a house, you own a house only on paper. Because when I say, do you own the house? You have to show me that paper. If you can't find that paper, I don't believe that you have on the house. Your name is not on the bricks. Your face is not on the house. Your smell does not go through that place. Maybe it does, but it... <laughs> Nothing you have actually belongs to you it belongs to you on paper, so it is a stewardship matter. It is a management matter. 
in the world, on the earth, on the, on the spinning globe, this blue planet, nothing actually belongs to the habitants. They are part of the earth. From dust you are and to dust you will return. Okay? So the amount of money in the world is Think economically, the, the amount of money is already there. If there are 100 whatever of money, it's there. If 40% is in your bank account or 60% is in your bank account, think with me, you have just managed to amass what is already there and wealth has shifted to, to be written to your name. It's only written to your name. It does not belong to you. Tomorrow it will belong to somebody else. It's the same amount of money. India can't make more money. It can print more rupees, but its standard GDP or its, 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 its wealth in finances and its resources is, is it. So it can only restate itself in, in how much it owns. So the amount that the earth has, the amount that a country has, the amount that a man has is... Are you with me? You don't own anything. Nothing. But all that you have has been allocated, it's wealth that's been allocated to you. And it is right now currently in your possession by paper. Tomorrow it could be gone. So what is your trust? That you can hold on to it? Or that God has given to me and therefore God only can take it away. And if God has given it to me, then he's given it to me for a purpose. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now we're not talking how much. We're talking about why. Why do I have it? I have 10,000. I have this property. I have this influence. I have this much wealth. Why do I have it? Why has God given me what I have? Why do I have less? Why don't I have less? Why don't I have more? Well, why do you have what you have? And once you've answered that question, we can then move on to ask why do you have less or why don't you have more. And that's where you begin to start answering the bigger questions in life. Here's the big question in life. He says, the owner enlisted a manager to take care of circle his property. That's what this whole thing is about. His property. How well are you taking care of God's property? Your body is God's property. It is not yours. It is not yours. It has been... <laughs> constituted to take you around. You know how long it will take to disintegrate your body? One stroke of lightning. One stroke of lightning and you'll be 100 grams of ash. It's a truth. I saw a video on Facebook the other day that they found a new way of cremating the body. And this is gross and morbid as it may sound, but I just, it, it hit me in a new way. And they, 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 nitrogen, liquid nitrogen, freeze the jolly thing. Yeah? And then shake it up, and then sing, and then finally your uncle is only this much. You know, he's just this much, and he's not he's not taking up land space. He's not taking. You pour him into a jar, stick him in there, and one flower coming out. That's it. So, on this one planet, we're reducing, and 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 they're proving the point that God is making. You are nothing. God raised you from the dust, and He can take you back to the dust in seconds. So, what is your body? It's God's property. What are you doing with it? 
How are you looking after it? Your talent, your opportunities, your mind. It's God's gift to you. How have you been treating your mind? How have you been looking after or stewarding your mind this past one week? What have you done with your mind? Is it a mess? Is it a drain where everything just gets clobbered and stuck over there and you're working through issues that you, don't, you never needed to work through in the first place? Second truth, second truth to remember. Number two, God is using money to test me. God is using money to test me or the lack of money to test me. Now, don't look at this in a, Lord, don't look at this in a bad way. This is the most beautiful thing ever. When I'm testing you to fail you, that's, that's bad. But when I'm testing you because I have something great in mind and I want to give you more, I want to, I want to see whether you'll do better with more. That's good. That's good. God is using money to test me. Or he's using the lack of money to test me. God is testing your faithfulness. He's testing you all the time. He tests you in three ways. Number one, money shows me what I love the most. Money shows me what I love. Whatever I love the most, that's where I spend most of my money. If I love a person, I spend that money on that person. If I love a habit, I spend it on the habit. If I love a, 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 a feeling or a, or a situation or, a, or a whatever, I spend money on that. You can say you love something, but your money shows what you really love. Matthew chapter 6 is don't store up treasure here on earth. Instead, store up treasure in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Wherever you want your heart to be, put your money in that and you'll get interested in it. So where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be. So if you want to test, you want to see how God tests it, he says wherever you're putting your money, that's where your heart is. You don't, you don't put your money where your heart is. Your heart's going to be where your money is. So, you choose where you're going to put your money. Because that's where your heart's going to follow. Number two, money shows what I really trust the most. If you trust your money, you will fall, Proverbs chapter 11, 28 says. If you trust your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. He's not talking about super spirituality, uh, uh, you know, kind of weird kind of living on top of a mountaintop where you've renounced all money, renounced all wealth. He's not talking about that. Don't go down that trail. He's saying with money in the hand, you trust in God. With money in the hand, you trust in God. Okay? So he's, he's, it points to what you trust in. Three things. Number one, number two, number three. It shows if God can trust me. If God can trust me. Your money... Your wealth, your resources, and the way you use that proves whether God can trust you more. Bible says in verse 11 and 12, whoever can be trusted with a very little will be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little can be dishonest with much. Irresponsible with little, irresponsible with much. Then he says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So look at me. So you have little and you have much. Okay, you're getting the picture? Little and much. Then he says worldly. And then he says heavenly. So the little and much is not little 10,000 and going to 1 lakh next week. I'm not, no. It says money, earthly money, rupees, rupiah. And then he talks about eternal currency. The much that he's talking about is in eternity. So any theology that says that if you sow seed and if you, you know, give to God and if you, all of that, the money will multiply here 
and God will reward you here is called a prosperity doctrine. That's not what this is teaching. What, he's, what Jesus is saying is, if you, I give you 10 rupees on earth and you can handle 10 rupees, I'll give you 10, whatever the currency is, in heaven and you'll be able to handle that. So I'm testing you with money in your hand so that you prove what I can trust you with in eternity. This life is 70 years. That life is going to be for eternity. So before God can give you real true riches, your own property... How can you be trusted with your own property if you can't be trusted with someone else's property? Scripture. Okay? So you're going to be given your own property that you will actually own, that will be actually your very own to your name for the rest of eternity. It will truly be yours. Right now, nothing is yours. But in eternity, it will be yours. How can I give you that when I can't trust you with what you don't own? So it's a test. Can God trust you? Can God trust you? What will you do with good money if he gives you? What will, we, what will you do with success if he gives it to you? What kind of a person will you become if he gives it to you? Who will you be about when God gives that to you? Number three, money is a tool. Money is a tool. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not the money. Money is not a root of all evil. Money is amoral. Money is flat. It's the love of money. When you begin to love what money can do, what money can... You know, it says money talks. No, money just walks. Money quietly walks away. Sometimes you don't really know where it went. Money doesn't talk. The love of money is the root of all evil. When you start using your money for purposes that are not God's, that's when we change. Luke chapter 6 verse 9 says, Jesus says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth. Please underline that word use. Underline the word use. Use your worldly wealth. What, what's your worldly wealth? Your money, your stocks and bonds, your property, your car, your worldly wealth. Use it. Use it. What's the point here? When you love money, you use people to get the money. He's saying use worldly wealth to get people. But when you love money, you use people to get money. And he says when you do that, that's not God's plan. That's a personal foul. Time out. That's a personal foul. That's not how this works. When you see every person as a job opportunity, as a sales client, when you see every person as a business proposal, when you see every person as someone who can be a gain to you money-wise, and someone who can, or you see someone as a dependence on you, <laughs> their liability to you, when you start viewing people and using people in order to get money or keep money, we are in a personal foul situation. What are some good uses of money? Use money to save time, use money to save lives. Save time. Time is more important than money. This is something I've learned early on in my life. Some people even say, Jerry, you don't, you don't value money so much. Well, it's not that I don't value money, it's I value time. If you value time, time is all you've got. Time is 60, 70 years on earth, 80 years on earth. Yeah. So when you sit and watch TV for one hour, that hour is never coming back. When you spend a thousand rupees and you're like, oh, shucks, I shouldn't have spent, that thousand rupees will come back. God can bring that thousand bucks to you back, but he cannot get you back that one hour. 
When you waste time, when you waste a day, when you waste half a day, when you waste a week, it's gone forever. You're not going to ever get younger. You're not going to go back to being 23 again. You're not going to go back to being 45 again. You are not going back. That is gone. The last five minutes is gone. It's never coming back. So when you waste time and your time is life, you're wasting life. That's called suicide. Time wasting is suicide. So when you spend time, sorry, when you spend money to redeem time, when you spend money to redeem time so that you save time for something else, you use time better, that's a better good use of money. It's a good use of money. Two, you use money to save lives. There are good uses of where you could put money to save life, whether it's medical or salvation or whatever it is. Let's look at the dishonest manager. Why did Jesus make him the hero of the story? Why did Jesus make him? He was not a perfect man. He was a dishonest man. Why did Jesus make him? Uh, well, it's not his dishonesty, dishonesty. In fact, he got fired. You remember? He got fired. He lost his job. So to the first guy, he says, uh, this, this shrewd manager, he says, first guy, he says, hey, how much do you owe the boss? You owe him, okay, 50% discount. 50%. Just change the bill. Just between you and me, 50% discount. What's he doing? He's trying to use money to gain friends. Is this wrong? Jesus highlights it and celebrates it. It's not how, it's that. The, the, the attitude. He says the attitude works. So you're looking at a weird guy, but getting some incredible answers. Then he brings another guy in. He says, hey, 1,000 bushels, 20% off. 20% <clears throat> off. So he writes him off 20%. Obviously, he's dishonest, but he did three things right. Number one, he looked ahead. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be out on my rear end. And in that time, it'll be friends that I can turn to. So I need to make some friends. Verse 3, what am I going to do now? Most people never look forward, never look ahead. When it comes to money, let's spend it now. Let's spend it now. Let's live for the now. Live for the present. I need it now. I want it now. Why do, why do we have to wait when we can afford it now? Proverbs chapter 14 verse 8 says, The wise man looks ahead, the fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. See that verse? The wise man looks ahead, the fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. I wonder what facts we're not willing to face. What are we not willing to face? The fact that maybe that we're living in a lifestyle that we can't really afford. The fact that we're living, in, uh, living for things that we can't really afford. The fact that we want more than we can actually afford. What facts are we not willing to face? Yesterday I was, uh, yesterday I was, uh, trying to buy my son a pair of spectacles. He's two, three years, we had to uh, check his, his power again, buy him some spectacles. So we went in, into the mall. I took a wrong turn into the wrong shop. And uh, I just said, show, must show us some. And the guy took out one frame. It looked like absolutely ordinary frame, absolutely ordinary frame. And, uh, and I asked how much is this? He says, 40,000 rupees. 40, and he told me the name of a brand. He says it's this brand. I can't even remember it to tell you. It's that vague. I mean, it, it, I don't, I've never heard of the brand. You know, Raymond I know. Or Ray-Ban. Ray-Ban. Ray-Bon I know, Ray-Bon from Goa. R-A-Y-B-O-N. 
all over. There's a rape born. That I know very well. 40,000 rupees. I got angry. I got angry with him. I, I gave him a piece of God's mind. <laughs> 40,000 rupees. It's a 16-year-old fellow. Tomorrow he's going to be flat on his face in the basketball court. And the 40,000 rupees will be going 20 this way, 20 that way. <laughs> I'm telling you. What? Seriously? Sir, we have, we have more budget ones. Really? He takes out a 21,000 rupee. 21,000 rupees. I'm like, and then we start walking out. He's saying, what happened? What's wrong? I'm like, where do I begin? So to, to tell you the whole story, he went to South Moti Bagh market and he got it for 1250 with a 10%, 10, 20% discount. He got it for 10,050. Sorry, uh, 1,050, and the glasses came to another 1,000. So totally 2,000 rupees, we got the glasses. And he's very upset that it hasn't come now. So that's a whole other set of issues. But the world thinks it's normal to waste money or to spend money like that. I want it now, I want it here, and it's just, there is no thinking ahead. You're living a lifestyle that you just can't afford. Why should a 16-year-old have a 40,000 rupee specs? Answer that question before you can tell me what that stupid thing is made of. He's explaining what it's made of. I don't care. <laughs> he, he looked ahead. Number two, he made a plan. He made a plan. I know what I will do. I know what I will do. Do you have a plan? A plan is called a budget. You can spend and you can spend on a budget. To spend on a budget is a plan. At least you know how you're spending, where you're spending. Aditya Birla uh, company, they've got a fantastic app. That app really helps, you know, give you an overview, summary, and, and tracks. You think it may get a little bit too invasive because it takes, picks up your banking uh, statement and everything. But HDFC has got an app, and there's several other apps. There's Wallet, there's, there's Wally. There's, you can pick out an app to just keep track of your expenses. Know how you're spending. Know where you've given it to. Put uh, there's envelopes or there's uh, there's uh, uh, that you could use. Okay, I'm putting this money away. Putting this money away. Putting. This. Have some plan. Don't just say ha pesa hai. How are you doing? Pesa hai. So we, you know, those years when pesa hai or pesa nahi hai. Those were the two worlds we lived in. And if you have, it is there to spend. No. No, there's got to be some idea, some planning. Proverbs chapter 16, 9. We should make plans counting on God to direct us. So it's not filled with faith. You're like, oh, let's just, no. There's got to be there. And number three, he acted quickly. He acted quickly. He gets commended for, for the fact that he didn't procrastinate. Immediately he worked on it. I'm going to lose my job. I need to do something about it. Uh, then he says, uh, let, me do, let me do this. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses if I invest in them. Jesus is commending this attitude. Okay? Number four, the best use of money is to get people into heaven. Jesus says, I tell you, the, tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Talking about normal friendships. So that when it is gone, they will, build, they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. Please underline that. Use worldly wealth. Underline that. And your eternal dwelling, underline that. So he's saying, he's not saying use money to buy friends. He's not saying use money to buy your way into heaven. He's saying use money, use stuff 
to build relationships. Don't use relationships to get stuff. And he says, if you focus on people, there will be people, and he focuses on people getting saved, there will be people in heaven in the long run when everything is lost, when you leave behind everything, there'll be people in heaven waiting to welcome you because you spent your earthly wealth on getting them there. Did you hear that? They are in heaven because you had a correct perspective on wealth. I repeat, they are in heaven because you had a correct perspective on They are going to welcome you into your eternal board because on earth you knew what to do with your money. Okay. Use wealth to build spiritual friendships. Use affluence for good influence and they will welcome you. Number five, one day I'll give an account to God. One day I'll give an account to God. There's going to be an audit of my life. Most faiths don't teach this. Most philosophies don't teach this. Most believers even don't really live with this conviction. They don't really believe that God is going to hold me accountable. There's a part of it that says God is not going to be holding me accountable for my sin. That's right. That's true. For your sin, because there is, sin is covered and sin has, the record of sin has been wiped out. Yes, but God is going to hold you accountable for your stewardship. Has he given you a family? Yes, he has. Has he given you friends? Yes, he has. A career? Yes, he has. Opportunities? Yes. Money in the bank, in your pocket? Yes, he has. Influence? Yes, he has. So he is going to hold you accountable. These are not things that just came your way. This is, if you think, my goodness, if you think that you concocted this and you got it for yourself, no, it is not yours. It was given to you by God. And God is testing you to see if you will find yourself faithful to do the right thing. And then he will give you more. He wants to give you more. But we have to live with an understanding that if I have 10,000 rupees, I'm going to give an account for it. If my CA wants an account for it, how much more? God. If the government wants an account for it, how much more God? I found it fascinating that in an audit report, one of the things that the CA is looking for in terms of uh, in terms of streamlining and aligning yourself with the law of the land is misappropriation of funds. When funding is coming for a specific cause and that funding is not used for that specific cause, it is called misappropriation of funds. And in an audit, I wonder, in the audit of our lives, with all that God has given to us, has there been a misappropriation of God, why did you give me this? Why have you? Because if your dad gives you a thousand rupees and says, go and buy some rice and, uh, and dal uh, from the market for, for mom to cook, and you go there and you blood, you know, waste it on burgers and this and that, and you buy uh, something else and come back with uh, something else. God is going to say, no, I gave you the money for that. So that's where your wealth and everything ties into the purpose of your life. If you don't know the purpose of your life, you're not going to know why you have what you have. You're not going to know the purpose of your life if you don't know the creator of your life. Which is why I invite you to know Jesus Christ because he's the one who created you and he's the one who's going to stand and audit your life in the end. Verse 2 says, You must now give an account for your stewardship and report what you have done with what I have entrusted to you because your time as a manager has ended. One day your management career is going to come to an end. We are all in management and it's going to come to an end. One day. Each of us will have to give a personal account. Last principle, real quick, as I close. If I'm faithful with a little, I can be trusted with much more. So verse 10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. 
The character is not going to change. The character is not going to change. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, uh, Jesus said, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have abundance. So it's not a secret that if I use 10,000 rupees well, God's going to give me one lakh. That's not the reason he's going to give me 1, 000, 10, uh, more money. God's going to give me more in order to test me if I do better with more. But he's not going to give me more if I don't do better with little. Now, answer me. Most of us, do we have little or much? And if we are honest enough, mostly we'll say, for the most part, we have little. Well, that's the test. If you can't be faithful with little, you won't be faithful with much. Here's what I'm saying. When your salary is 10,000 rupees, you're like, oh, what big planning do you want to do? I can already see the end of it. You know, you want to be So you say, my salary is 10 lakhs. 10 lakhs. 120 lakhs per annum. Oh. Now you want to do some planning. Hey, what are so much? I need some. No. If you don't plan for 10,000, you're not going to plan for 10 lakhs. If you're not responsible with 10,000, you're not going to be responsible. If you're not giving your tithe when you have 10,000 rupees, you're not going to tithe when you have. Are you with me? That's what God is saying. God is saying character first. God is saying that if you don't put that plan, if you don't put that character in first, it doesn't matter how much I give you later, even if I ever give it to you, it's not going to happen. If most of you say, I have only little, well, that's the test. That's the test. God tests us when we have little. And God tests us when we have nothing. That's when the true character comes out. And then he can trust us with, if God was to give you in lakhs, if God was to give you in millions, what would you do with it? Answer, the same you would do if you had little. Faithfulness in little ways produces fruitfulness in big ways. You say, when I make it big, I'll be generous. No. If you can't tithe when you have 10,000 rupees, and if you can't be generous when you have 10,000 rupees, you never will be. Let's stop fooling ourselves. So a little introspection. What needs to change in my thinking? What do I believe that I've learned from, what do I believe that I've learned from the world that needs to change in contrast to Christ's teaching? 